resurrection and the life. Jesus, the resurrection and the life. That will be our main theme. And like I said, we're going to be in this for a few weeks. As I just started really writing out this sermon, typing it out. And I realized with where we're going today, we're not even getting to the raising of Lazarus yet. So I thought we can't skip over that. We need a few weeks to look at this. So minimally today, we're going to largely look to Martha in her response to Jesus, the resurrection and the life. Next week, we'll look to the raising of Lazarus, the resurrection of Lazarus from the death, a literal death, and then we'll look to the reactions, and then you'll see how close we're getting to the passion of Christ. And as we even draw near in our real life today, being the middle of February, actually now we're in the second half of February, we're getting closer to Easter ourselves in the Passion Week. This chapter, John chapter 11, records one of the most touching, one of the most powerful accounts in the life of Christ, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And not only is it one of the most touching, one of the most powerful illustrations, it's one of the most well-known stories or miracles of Christ. Now, we have studied, we've looked at several miracles up to this point in John chapter 11. I'm sorry, John And in John chapter 11, this is so powerful because in this miracle alone, in this one sign, this one working alone, it speaks for itself to the divinity of Christ. Jesus truly is the Son of God, and he truly is an equal part in the Trinity. Here John tells the events of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And we see some surprising details. We also see that John is the only gospel book which gives the details to this story. It's such a great event. It's such a great and powerful story to apply to our lives as well. And maybe you've heard it preached many times. Maybe you've preached it yourself to a Sunday school class, to a Bible study, to your kids. Well, I hope we can apply some new principles to our life today and in the coming weeks as well. But before we get to the reading, I do have one quick statement to apply and then we'll read you see as i read this i couldn't help but notice this one almost depressing yet powerful idea jesus lets his friends die we'll talk about that after the reading please follow along in john chapter 11 1 through 44 actually might stop a little short of that john chapter 11 starting at verse 1 here now a man was sick lazarus from bethany The village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick, sick now. So the sisters sent a message to him. Lord, the one you love is sick. Now I love that already now they're setting up the scene. They're setting up the characters. They're even giving us some background to remember who this Mary is, who this Martha is, who this Lazarus is, and where they're at in relation to where Jesus is. We're going to get more into detail here as we read. But please notice this important fact. This is a friend of Jesus. In fact, all three of them are friends. They're not just acquaintances. They are their friends who Jesus loves. Reading in verse 4. Actually, let's read from verse 2 once more. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother, Lazarus, who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God. So that the son of God may be glorified through it. 
Now, verse 5, if you're following along, John 11. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. Again, we have this point, this idea just being thrown in our head quite bluntly. Jesus loves these people. Now, it's not that Jesus doesn't love all his children, all his people, but they're making very well known. These are friends of Jesus. Jesus loves these people. Verse 5 again. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Anybody catch that? I mean, that kind of just hit me hard. And let me say that again. Jesus loved Martha, loved her sister Mary, loved Lazarus. He receives this letter that Lazarus is sick and dying. And right after it's made known that you love this friend, it says, now Jesus stayed where he was two more days. Again, we'll get to more of this after, so let's continue to read. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, not before, not during, after the two days. He said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Verse 8, Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you and you're going there again? Aren't there 12 hours in a day? And Jesus answered, if anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. Verse 11, he said this, and then he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. Verse 12, then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Then Thomas, called twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let's go too, so that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? It's Jesus asking Martha, verifying. Do you understand who I am? Do you understand what I am capable of doing? Do you understand what I'm bringing into the world? And she answers, yes, Lord. She told him, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. And having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, 
Remember, Martha went to him. And now Martha went back to tell Mary. And now Mary goes to him. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. A quick little snippet of fact I don't have in my notes, but I was telling some people this week. In this day, it was actually custom that they could have hired or had professional mourners, professional criers. To, us, to come alongside these families as they mourn the loss of a loved one. So that brings a little bit of an idea as to why would these people be following her? Now maybe they were just friends, family, extended family. When Jesus saw her crying, I'm sorry, go up a moment to 32. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, what a Act of worship, position of worship. Again, as soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. What an acknowledgement to the divine power of Jesus Christ. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him. Come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench. Because he has been dead four days. She's kind of astonished. You want me to do what? Why? There's all these people in this place and let alone this is, this is Lazarus, my brother. You want me to remove this stone? He's been dead four days. There would be a stench. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? What an amazing statement. I mean, just to think, something powerful is about to happen. You said you believed. Didn't I tell you, you would see the glory of God. Do what I'm telling you to do and just wait. So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. A quick little snippet again, and we'll probably say it again next week, but some commentators and um, goes all the way back to early church history believe that Jesus might have cried out with the name of Lazarus because of Jesus' power over the grave. If he didn't specify Lazarus, all would come out of the grave. Lazarus, he says, though, come out. And the dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. We'll end with the reading of the word there today. Thank you for following along. What a powerful story. And there is so much to draw from this. 
I mean, I just visualize this in my head and think to myself, can, can you imagine? I mean, powerful or not, you're seeing this dead man, hands bound, feet bound, still wrapped in linen, walking out of this tomb. I think of classic children's pictures, which we see of mummies. <laughs> and it just is amazing me to think that there are still people here. I could see people wanting to run. There's this dead man walking out of this tomb, hands bound, feet wrapped, wrapped in linens. I mean, they knew what was happening here, but obviously they knew the power of Christ was better. And seeing this glorious event unfold, no pun intended to the linens that were about to be taken off, but the glory of Christ, his divinity being on show right before them was more powerful than anything they could have ever imagined would happen before their eyes. And apparently they did not run. They stayed because he was able to instruct them to say to them, unwrap him and let him go. Wow. But again, let's get back to my notes. As we went into this scripture, I mentioned both a powerful and depressing idea. And we see this unfold in front of our very own eyes. Jesus let his friend die. But here after reading this story, I think you can see the entire purpose here. And what I want to say this is, yes. In, in, in fact, Jesus does let his friend die. And he even lets us die. He lets everybody die unless he calls us home sooner. But here's the thing. Jesus lets his friends die to the old life so that he can bring us into a newness of life. And even in this story, we see it a literal death unfold right before our eyes, but it's all for the glory of God and so that people may come into a new, more powerful, more understood realization to the great I am divinity of Christ. Yes, Jesus truly does let his friends die. You and I included. And in fact, unless Jesus calls us home first, death is a very real part of our lives that we must grasp onto and understand and not avoid talking about and not avoid understanding or dealing with. Because when we truly seek to understand it and to deal with it and grasp onto it, we can see that although we die here, we live on in the newness of life and in the glory of Christ and our creator. All of us will die. In fact, I heard a dear friend of all of ours speaking about this this week. I want to share just a short story. I called a, like I said, a dear friend of all of ours, and maybe you know who I'm talking about, maybe you recognize this story, but I just asked him typically, hey, how you doing? In my typical passionate voice, how you doing? How you doing today? He said, oh no, pastor. I'm not doing very well. I said, oh, really? Why? What's going on? What's wrong? I mean, those are the awkward moments when you call somebody and say, how are you doing? You're all excited. You're saying, it's a great day. How are you doing? And I'm not doing well. And instantly you go down in your tone of voice and where you're at. And I say, well, what's wrong? What's going on? How can I pray for you? What's happening? He says, well, pastor... The moment I was born, the doctor told my mother some bad news. He said, with each day, he would be closer to death. And, he continued, and I continue to walk along that path every day still today as well. That's what he said. And he's right, though. 
You see, every day we do walk closer to the physical death in this world. We're all in a process of dying. And although he thought he was being smart, witty, funny, a jokester, like Pastor, I mean, like some people are, he's right. We must all die to this world. But not just physically, spiritually too. All humanity must die to self. Die spiritually to the idea of being our own saviors and accept the fact that Jesus gives us new life, better lives through the the salvation which only he brings to us. Let me take this a step further, just one step further, and I apologize if you're taking notes. You can ask for that later. Jesus brings triumphal living filled with hope and futures better than anything imaginable. Jesus says in Luke 9, 23 to 24, in the NLT, New Living Translation, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. But don't leave yet. Keep reading on. Verse 24 says, again, Luke 9, if you're taking notes, verse 24, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, for the sake of Christ, surrendering to him, submitting to his leadership, his salvation, it says, you will save it. Did you catch that closing? Give up your life for Christ's sake to truly save it. Yes, Jesus' friends do die. But in dying to oneself, we're saved and have new life in him with a glorious future that's better than anything we can ever imagine. Now, this friend of all of ours, he goes on typically, and I might have ad-libbed or um, paraphrased a little bit. Let me read this. I said it a little bit. I said, this friend, which, by the way, thought he was being very smart, witty, funny in his response, went on to say, regarding his impending death, that thanks, thanks and all glory be to God, it's not an impending doom. It's an impending glory. He looks forward to what awaits him as all Christians should. For what awaits us is glory being in the glorious presence of God and having a newfound understanding of who we serve, who we worship, and who loves us like no one else can. Jesus lets his friends die. But within this death, we find a newness of life with a future hope and promise to eternal greatness of which one may only have in God's plans and the glorious transformation through which the Son gives us. Furthermore, And this will lead us into finally dealing with the text today. But I I felt we had to address this. This is just at the forefront to me. Jesus could have prevented all of this. Even if this letter, which some believes did not reach him until he was already dead and Jesus was just giving a typical standard two days of customary grieving for the family and then he would arrive at a typical right-on-time fashion, either way, Jesus had to have known what was going to happen because it was all for the glory of him and the Father. But here's this. When we learn to trust Jesus, we will experience a triumph of life over death. Let me say that again. Learn to trust Jesus and you will experience the triumph of life over death. 
Everyone in here, if you know Jesus as Lord, as Savior, you can learn to trust him in a way which enables you to experience triumph of both life and over death. And I see some of you in here who have dealt in a very real sense with death in a way which I have not. And I hope you learn to see this. I hope you can learn to show this to others that despite the very real, very morbid, very hard, burdensome thing of death in this physical world, we can still have triumph of life over death. Let's move to talk specifically of John chapter 11 now with what we have left of today. What we read in John chapter 11 is not just a spiritual death. It is a very real and literal death. Jesus' friend Lazarus became sick, sick unto death. Jesus receives a message from his two friends who he loved, Mary and Martha, of this tragic news. And like I already hinted to, there's two general thoughts here. One is by the time this message is received, and considering the time it would take for such a message to get to Jesus from where it was wrote, Lazarus might have already succumbed to his illness and died. Now, we don't know what this illness was. It really doesn't matter. What the most important thing to see here is he has died. Number two, Jesus, in a very real way, might have let his friend die. And his friends, Mary and Martha, tragically watched this occur too, all while possibly thinking, hoping Jesus would be his salvation. That's the other thought. Maybe they wrote this letter, sent it to Jesus, in hopes that Jesus would get this letter. And immediately, as we see from other miracles, Jesus would just heal them based upon their face wherever he is and not even have to come. Or maybe he would snap his fingers and just get there in an instant and heal his friend preventing any of this to ha from happening. Whichever way you want to look at it, though, we do have this next statement of Christ in verse 4. Christ says, The sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. All that matters in this life is God's glory. That is why we're here upon this earth, created by Him, is for His glory. And God blesses us greatly in this life. Despite the fact that what really matters is him. This is all good news. Because Jesus being the resurrection and the life, he's going to come back to life anyways. And it'll be for his glory. And in this display, more might come to know him. More might get to see the great I am and divine identity of Jesus. But at the same time, in these actions... It would be the tipping point to lead to the passion of Christ, to lead to the leaders, the religious leaders and the mobs crying out for Jesus to be crucified. Today I have three points, which we must get to quite fast. And the main idea of these points is this. As Christians, we may have triumphant and confident hope of victory over death by knowing Jesus as a resurrection and the life. The first point is found in this. Number one, we have a sure hope. Christians may have a sure hope because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. You see, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb dead for days. It's undeniable. The scriptures tell us right here, four days he had been in the tomb, but this does not change the sure hope that was to be found by Martha 
was Jesus being the resurrection and the life. Let's read once more from John 11. Now just 17 to 24 as we focus on this. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. Now let's talk about this in a little bit more detail The fact that Lazarus had been dead in the tomb four days probably means that he died in the message. He died at the beginning of when the message was sent to Jesus. That's why I believe here. Jesus, Lazarus was dead. We see clues in the scriptures here that by the time the message already was received by Jesus, Lazarus was dead. And since the Jews didn't embalm the body, they just masked the smell of death with spices They buried the body on the day of death as well. There was the day to deliver the message to Jesus, the day, two days of delay, and then the day of traveling to Bethany, which could have covered all four days. Here's some interesting background. Why might Jesus have come on the fourth day? Why might there have been a little bit of a delay, two delays? And again, this goes back to historical thoughts I believe it goes all the way back to Augustine. I don't know the truth to this, but it is interesting. Let me read this directly from my notes so I don't get it wrong. Some proposed the reason John included the detail was that it was discovered that some Jewish sources taught that the soul of the deceased hovered over the body for three days, hoping to re-enter the body. Again, not saying this true. It's saying what some believed. After three days, the soul gave up and departed. We don't know if that would have been what was thought by Mary and Martha. But what we can see here is that Jesus waited four days so that couldn't have any thought that this was just coincidental that the spirit found its way back into his body. It also couldn't be coincidental that maybe it just succumbed into some type of coma and came back to life. He was dead. He was dead. And on the first day of death, the body begins to show decomposition hence why the scripture tells us that martha did not want to unroll the rock from the tomb there would be a great stench it tells us now the jews had 30 days of mourning and during this time of mourning more and more and more people would come to mourn with the family as i said some believe that there might have even been professional mourners hired to be there on the family's behalf too now moving forward martha that's our focus today martha Typical of her activist personality, she must be acting, doing something. She runs to Jesus when she hears that he's coming. And she says, if only you would have been here, he would not have died. Now some take this to think that she was scolding Jesus. If only you would have been been here, he wouldn't have died. But I think when you look at it a different way, she could have been acknowledging his power. Because it goes on to a second verse. Instead, it could be a reaffirmation of the very faith that she had in him. As it says, even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. 
Martha had a sure hope in Christ. Martha had a sure hope in the power and his connection with God the Father in heaven. And we can too. Jesus tells her that her brother is going to live again. But she still doesn't quite understand what this means. And Jesus has to go in to clarify who he is, the resurrection and the life. As she does acknowledge there is a resurrection in the future. In the end. We do the same thing though. We often forget how Jesus can help us today as we say, one day, one day, one day. And this is great and right thinking too, as we say, one day we may see our family members again as we grieve the loss of somebody that's dear to us. You will see them again. And they often respond, yes, I know this is true. And it's good. It's true. All correct. In fact, because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, we may have a sure hope. A promised hope that we will see all our brothers and sisters in Christ again. I think we lose track of the power we have today to live new lives as well. Christians are often accused of being morbid because we like to talk about death. But I think really what the world around us needs to hear is more of it. In fact, I think that really, in reality, these people who like to accuse us of being morbid, I can't believe how much you talk about death, really, they're delighted to hear us talk about it. It's not like them. It's, it's just strange to talk to them. But when we talk about death, they get to hear that there's hope past death of this life. The world today around us that does not know Christ, they don't know anything of this hope. We can show them the hope. A sure hope. Just as Mary here knew, there is a sure hope in the resurrection. But she didn't quite yet understand that this sure hope could, would start today for her. I read an interesting story before we move to the next point. Winston Churchill, some of you know this famous guy. If not, then you really need to get your history books out. Winston Churchill became a follower of Christ late in his years, before his death, it's believed. And he made his own funeral arrangements. And it's said that, when, that in his arrangements, when they said the benediction, he had arranged for a bugler high in the dome of St. Paul's Cathedral to play taps. Now, it's not that uncommon. This tap song is a universal signal of the day is over. But after this song was finished... There was a pause, and then another bugler on the side of the dome was to play Reveille, the signal of a new day beginning. And it said that it was Churchill's way of saying that while it was good night here, it was good morning there. What a great thought of the sure hope that Churchill believed in and knew. Churchill believed in a sure and confident hope of victory through Christ. And we can have that same sure hope. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Let's move on to point number two. Through Jesus as the resurrection and the life, we can see and understand the new life we have in him. Point two, new life. Jesus said to her in 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Now, this was strange talk for her, though. You see, no one had ever spoken of the resurrection in this manner. 
No one ever had said the resurrection was a person before. Resurrection was traditionally thought to be in the future and something accomplished through God himself. Resurrection tied to a person, Christ, Jesus. This was a radical new thought, new belief. So it's not uncommon for Jesus to need to explain this a little bit. And yet Jesus declares in a way, I and I alone through the divine and personal power I have will cause the resurrection to happen. And those who believe in me, even if he dies before the great resurrection, will come to newness of life and never die. That's what we know. You see, we're far enough in history now. We're in the present life. We have God's word. We have an understanding of God's word through the Holy Spirit. We know that we can have a newness of life in him and through him. Now, we don't need to wait for the resurrection to be living in the newness and the hope and the promises and the glory. That's what we have now. Through Christ, his resurrection and the life, Christians have a new life. And though they die, they live on forever in his promises and glory. John 8, 51, Jesus says, though, I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my, my word, he will never see death. Let's get back to the scripture here. Jesus stands before Martha and says, this is not all there is to this life. There is more. I am the resurrection and the life. I bring a newness of life, and you can know this today. If there's a, in this, there is a promise of transformation, and it doesn't need to wait until heaven. As one person once said, guilt, inadequacies, and past sins are no longer the greatest power or testimony about your life. Jesus and his love is. And I paraphrase that. I don't know where I saw it. It's just an idea. Guilt, inadequacies, past sins are no longer the greatest power or testimony about your life. Jesus and his love is. So why do we keep living in the old life? Why don't we have this sure hope of the new life which we have in him? Point three, the final point. We must miraculously believe in Jesus, the resurrection and the life, which he alone brings in the now and in the future. Jesus was about to do something miraculous, something people only dream of or have nightmares of. The dead will raise. But we don't have to wait to raise in the newness of life he gives us today. Jesus said in John eleven twenty six. To 27, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Jesus is not asking Martha if she believes in the doctrine of resurrection, the idea. She's already said that she believes that the resurrection will happen at the end of time. He was asking, does she believe that he is the resurrection and that this truth can be applied now? And we can ask ourselves the same thing. Do we truly believe that Jesus has given us this ability to be forgiven of our past and move forward to the future? Quit living in the past. Live for the future that God wants you to live in. Live for his righteousness. Abide in him. Abide in his word. Martha confesses that she believes Jesus is the one the Old Testament predicted about. He is the savior of Israel. He is the Messiah as I quote, she says, you are the Messiah, the Savior of the world. 
Martha said Jesus is the Son of God. He is divine. He is equal. He is the prophecy fulfilled in front of our very eyes. He is the triune Son. Do we truly believe this? Let's conclude. Martha knows Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And it's, just not, it's not just a head knowledge. I truly believe she, she applies it to her life. In a way where she says, okay, you're telling me to rule this stone away? She gave him a little bit of lip service. Jesus, what are you talking about? He's been dead four days. There's a great stench. But you notice she follows through. It's not just head knowledge. She applies it to her life who Jesus says he is. Do you have a sure hope in Jesus? Do you have the newness of life that he says you have? And in that case, are you living in it? Are you living in the newness of life? Do you believe in Jesus being the resurrection and the life in such a way that you leave the past behind? In the words of Paul from Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, we must press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called us heavenward. In Christ Jesus. You see, I fear that a lot of us are living in a way which does not look like we are awake at all. A lot of us live in a way which shows the world that we're still dead just like them. Instead of showing them that we are very much alive and new. And we have a sure hope that goes beyond anything this world can imagine without God's word and the Holy Spirit within. But we can proclaim Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Matthew 6, 24 tells us that no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. We must leave the past behind. Live in the sureness of hope we have. Live in the newness of life we have. Declare to the world that there is one master to follow. And he is the divine son of God. Part of the triune God, the Trinity. He is the Messiah and he's here to save you. Remember Ephesians chapter 2, which says that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works and to walk in them. We must bear fruit in our lives, live our life looking to abide in him, walk with him and in his ways. Show the world a better way to live. And remember, connecting this with the beginning Jesus does let his friends die. But it is in this death that we find new life, a sure hope, a resurrected life, which honors and glorifies God. I just want to close before praying with reading Ephesians 5, 8 to 14 as a reminder to us all. For one time you were darkness, in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I want to expound. I'm just going to keep reading. Let it speak for itself. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you.
Let's pray and close in one final song. Lord, we thank you for the sure hope we have through Jesus. We thank you for the newness of life that we have. And as painful as it must be to see us have to die to an old self, we know, Lord, that through you we have a newness of life which is better than anything we could have imagined when we were dead in sin. We know that you have a purpose and it's all for your glory, but in your glory you desire what's right for us too. And great blessings for your people. And we thank you for this, Lord. But we pray in those closing words, we pray that we do what is pleasing to you in all things, in all ways, so that the light of Christ would be exposed to a dark and dying world. May we remember the sure hope that we have, the newness of life we have, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And we can live in this miraculous truth today, not just in the future. And it's in your holy and powerful name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Please stand as we close with this final song, All the Poor and Powerless.
One part we didn't read from yet in John 11, starting in verse 45, says, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And this would lead on to the Passion Week and the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. But do not skip over that part that said, Those who saw him and heard of these things also, many came to faith. Go out and scream it from the mountains, people. Friends, family, scream that Jesus is Lord and he is the resurrection and the life. If you're new here or maybe you're not new, you've been here a while.